All right, what we're gonna do is we're gonna read Matthew chapter six. We're gonna read through the Lord's Prayer and then a couple verses after. And uh, then I'm gonna try to break this down for you. Hopefully, I will get to the idea. I had some principles of forgiveness that I wanted to give to you today. But as I was reading through this, I thought, man, I've really got to explain what Jesus means and honestly what this entire Sermon on the Mount means. This portion of scripture from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7 where Jesus is teaching, basically, he is giving the most eloquent speech, sermon, on the law that anyone has ever given. And I think sometimes we fail to realize that, and we look at the standard that Jesus sets in Matthew 5 and 7, and if we, if we look at it and, uh, <laughs> and we consider the words of Jesus true, then something has to be done about it. And there's a lot in Matthew 5 through 7 that we don't adhere to. And I, and I, need, to, I need to explain, ex, explain why. Okay, all right, here we go. Matthew chapter 6, this verse 9 says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, I can't wait for next week <laughs> because uh, I want you to see something that we're going to have to deal with next week. James tells us that God does not tempt and neither can God be tempted. So why in the world would we pray do not lead us into temptation. Think about that this week. All right, just mess, just mess around with that this week. That's gonna be fun. Uh, pray for me, because I have to explain that. Because I do not believe that the Bible contradicts itself. If I thought the Bible was a big contradiction, I would think the whole thing was a mess and that there was nothing in it we could believe. But I believe that it is true. And I believe that what the men wrote in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is true for us. And one verse does not contradict another verse. If we see it properly and we examine it thoroughly with its context and everything, we can see that the writers are all saying the same thing. So, so when heaven and earth passes away, he says his word will still remain. And so we can have confidence in his word. Now, I, there's a couple verses I want to read to you that are after the Lord's Prayer that we're going to deal with for a few minutes today. Watch this. It says, it says this, verse 14. It says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's heavy, isn't it? What do we do with that? What do we do about that? Because literally what scripture is saying is if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't even know personally. I don't even know what it means to truly forgive somebody. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, so if I'm to forgive a person, then there has to be a standard of what forgiveness looks like. 
So what does forgiveness look like? Does it look like I, I let it go, but I don't trust them anymore? Does it look like I, I let it go and I fully restore that? What does forgiveness truly look like? And every one of us have a different standard of measurement of what we think forgiveness looks like. And so there is no way based on this scripture that any of us can have confidence towards God in our salvation because how do we truly know we've forgiven anybody? So I've got good news for you today. This statement is old covenant. This is not new covenant. Let me give you one reason why it's old covenant. Jesus has not died yet. Jesus, who was born at the time of the law, taught the law. Matter of fact, let me give you some scripture here in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, that's gonna help you understand this. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Watch that. The Bible is telling us that we have to have a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of the most righteous people of the day. I can tell you that I don't, I don't adhere to the law the same way the Pharisees adhere to the law. So, so if my salvation is dependent upon my adherence to the law, my ability to forgive others, and let me, let, me, let me show you a couple of other things that it's connected to here in Matthew. Matthew 5, 21 through 22, it says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is to call him a fool, <laughs> I'm sure all of us have called a brother or sister a fool, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be danger of the fire of hell. You want another one? You encouraged yet? Matthew chapter five, verses 26 through 30. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Watch this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. And people are like, no, Jesus, he's speaking in hyperbole. Like, he's just exaggerating. No, he's serious. He's like, no, if your eye offends you, cut it out. And then he goes on a little bit further. He says, if it's, it, <laughs> wow, it's, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Watch this, Matthew 6, 14 through 15. If you forgive people they, that, that hurt you and sin against you, your father will forgive you, but if you do not forgive them, your father will not forgive you. And then the culminating event of this, this sermon, he says that, that oh, by the way, if, if I haven't already made the standard high enough, uh, be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. And, and can you imagine 
the Jews in this setting, they're hearing this sermon from Jesus. Can you imagine what they feel in this moment? They already thought the law was a burden. And here Jesus comes in and says, actually, you've misinterpreted it. You've actually lowered the standard. Let me remind you what the standard of God actually is. And in case I left anything out, the standard of God for entrance into heaven is to be perfect even as God is perfect. Can I tell you that the good news of this sermon is that you cannot do this sermon? I wish I could get a good hearty amen in here like, because I'm feeling like there are people in here who actually think that you can keep all of that. There's actually scripture in here that says if you marry someone who has been divorced, you actually cause them to be an adulterer. (laughs) There's so many adulterers in here right now. (laughs) So listen, listen, the good news is this is a standard that you cannot meet. And that's why he says that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall by no means, fairies, the Pharisees, <laughs> I guess they're righteous too, but you shall by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. How do we get a righteousness that supersedes, that is higher than the righteousness of the Pharisees that matches the holiness of God? Jesus. So what Jesus is doing is he is actually making the burden of the law so hard that we cry out for a savior. He's actually trying to make it so impossible that we look at it and say, I can't do that. Matter of fact, I've blown it in most of these categories. What is, where's my hope? And and Jesus would show him, it's me hanging on a cross dying for your sins, blood coming out of my body to redeem you from your past, to forgive you when you cannot be forgiven. So we have to look at the Lord's prayer and say, okay, this is an old covenant prayer. It's not that this prayer isn't something that can't still be used as a pattern for me, but I have to see the pattern correctly now. I have to see the pattern correctly. Let me, let me give you the New Testament standard of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Watch this. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So in, in the new covenant, I don't forgive to be forgiven. I forgive because I am forgiven. That I just feel like there should be some just shouting in this room right now. Some like, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. I will never take for granted what you have done. There is no way on earth I could keep all of your commands and measure up to the standard of God for my life. Thank you, Jesus, that now as a result of what you have done, I am able to do what seemed impossible, and that's to forgive people who have hurt me and broken my heart and let me down and disappointed me. So I don't forgive to be forgiven. I forgive because I am forgiven. That's good news for us. And and I I wanna give you another reason why what Jesus is teaching in Matthew five through seven is not new covenant. Because there actually can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. 
What was happening in this day was they had gotten away from sacrifice. They had gotten away from animal sacrifice like they were doing, especially uh, in the wilderness. And then when they were set up in the promised land, they were sacrificing animals so that their sins would be forgiven. They were never justified. They were they were never uh, declared innocent. They were always guilty, but once a year and through various sacrifices, God would forgive them of their sins. That's why in the New Testament, you see Jesus forgiving people before he died. Because Jesus dying did more than forgive you, it justifies you. Remember they brought a lame man to Jesus and Jesus, before he healed him, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. You remember there was a woman who came to Jesus and she fell at his feet and began to weep and everybody in the room couldn't believe that Jesus was talking to this woman because she was such a sinner. And Jesus says the reason she loves like this is because she's been forgiven much. The person who's been forgiven much loves much, right? So Jesus could forgive us, but we couldn't be justified. And the covenant couldn't be sealed until blood was shed. Let me give you a verse. Hebrews chapter 9, 22 says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is truly no forgiveness. So even the forgiveness that Jesus could give was temporary. And it was for the sins that they had committed and not the ones that they would commit. That's why when Jesus told the man, he said, listen, Don't go out and do anything stupid because something worse could happen to you. I've taken care of the things you did, but I can't can't do anything about the things you've done. Is Is it kind of starting to hit a little bit? Because for many of you, this scripture has been held over your head. Many scriptures have been held over your head to say, if you do this, God will do this. If you'll act like this, then God will act like this. And if you'll respond like this, then God will respond like this. And we live this life thinking that my salvation is depending on my ability to live right, to keep the law, to measure up, to forgive people. God said, no, this whole thing flipped when my son died for you and he shed his blood for you. Now, not only are you forgiven of your past, your present, but everything you will do in the future is covered in the blood too. His forgiveness is complete. There is no reason for you to sit here and question and wonder, am I gonna make it to heaven? You are saved, Ephesians says, by grace through faith. Even the law, When the law came, it was actually a rejection of faith. See, because 400 years before the law, there was a man named Abraham, and he was living just fine without it. Serving God, being blessed by God, obeying God, believing God. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Well, the people of God go into bondage, into slavery, God delivers them, and he wants to be in relationship with them, and he actually comes, and he says, hey, Moses, tell the people that I wanna meet with them, and he tells the people, hey, 
hey guys, God wants to meet with you. And they said, no, we don't, no, we don't wanna do that. You go talk to God for us. God's offering himself in relationship. But when we send someone to go before us, what they come back with are rules. Because when you won't talk to God for yourself, you have to live a relationship based on rules. Because where there is no relationship, there is no trust. So what did we do? We actually chose the law over faith. We said, we don't wanna talk to you. We don't have, we don't have a relationship with you. Just tell us what to do. And they said, whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it. And God said, oh, really? Let me, let me make this extremely hard for you. So we rejected relationship. We couldn't keep it. We find ourselves in the New Testament and people have changed it and manipulated it and added uh, tradition to it. And Jesus comes in to set the record straight. Now watch this. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15 says this. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Not the, not, the, not the blessing that comes from adhering to the law, but the promise that comes through faith. So even when the Bible talks about what God wants to do in our lives, he doesn't refer to Moses. He refers to Abraham. He said, because I'm not relating to you the way I related to the people through Moses. I don't relate to you through the law. I relate to you by faith. So watch this, he says that you may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 say this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. <laughs> it's good, man. You, you, know, you know what's so funny about the way the way we, we see things now versus the way the early church saw things is that we have, a, we have a conscious, even as Gentile people, let's say the majority of this room in here today is not Jewish, but, but Gentile, that means you are not Jewish. <laughs> you, you, you are not a part of, of uh, God's original chosen people. Now you are a part of the family of God through adoption. Uh, now the gospel is being preached to the Gentiles. So as Gentile people, though, in the, in the early church, they would not be even aware of the law. The only reason you and I are aware of it is because we have a Bible and we get to go back and look at it. But as new Christians were being converted to the faith in, in the New Testament, nobody was approaching them with the law. Nobody gave them a lesson on the law before they got saved. They just knew something was wrong. They knew something wasn't right in their life. They were aware of their own weakness and struggle. And there was this message of a God who loved them and gave his life for them. So this idea that, you know, we need to, we need to teach people the law so they really, they really understand their salvation, that's not even, 
how people were being saved as Gentiles in the early church. The gospel was good enough. They were just preaching the good news of Jesus. Hey, there's God in heaven who loves you. We're, 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 try, we're trying to do something they weren't even doing in the early church. Why? Because the Gentiles didn't have access to, to this scripture. They wouldn't have even understand, understood what it meant to be under the law. But here we are. We're aware of it. And now we're trying to use it. We're not even Jewish people and we're trying to use a Jewish system to save people. We're saved by the grace of God through faith, not of works. I, I, don't, I, will, I will spend the rest of my life, I don't care how many people people get mad. I don't care how many messages I get on, on whatever social media. I don't care how many dislikes I get or bad reviews I get or false prophet, false teacher. You're not, I don't care about any of that. I have come to declare that Jesus died for the sins of humanity, that Jesus loves humanity, that whatever you have done can be forgiven that your salvation doesn't depend on how good you are, but how good he is, that even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. I just believe that God is better than we give him credit for. Just believe it. <laughs> so why, why did Jesus come teaching the law? First of all, in Matthew, he's talking to Jewish people. He's not talking to Gentiles. He's not talking to people like you and me. He's talking to the Jewish people. Most of the writing of the New Testament is written, especially in the Gospels, is written to the Jewish people. Matter of fact, part of Jesus' ministry said, I, I didn't come for them, I came for, came for the Jewish people. I came, I came to do, what did Jesus really come to do? He came to increase the trespass. Watch what Romans chapter five so why is Jesus teaching like he is Matthew 5 through 7? He's trying to increase sin. Because we were busy trying to be like, well, you know, I can, I can keep eight out of the 10. Not too bad. I, I, can, I can keep a few and I'm not doing these and I'm not sacrificing animals, but I, I'm keeping these other religious laws. I'm not eating that kind of food, but I'm ignoring that law. And Jesus comes in and the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and 20, that the law was brought so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. <laughs> Man, it's just good news. So when you pray, you pray in the Lord's Prayer, and you pray, Father, forgive our debts as we forgive those who have debt with us. Recognize that when you pray that, don't misinterpret that to believe that if I don't forgive other people, God won't forgive me. I've got to pray that in a unique way. And I'm going to teach you next week what we've got to, how we've got to pray, lead us not into temptation. 
Because we serve a God who James says does not tempt. So I want you to know this is not a formula for prayer. This is a pattern for prayer. This is like an outline. And because of the new covenant, we get to see it in a different way. We get to see it through the eyes of Jesus. So what we have to do with everything before the cross is we have to bring it to the cross. And if it doesn't make it through the cross, it's not for us anymore. <laughs> Can I give you one that's gonna make you really upset? Do you, know, do you know the scripture everybody uses to tell people they can't get tattoos? Do you know in that same chapter it tells you not to cut your hair a certain length? So the same scripture you're using to condemn people with tattoos is the same scripture that condemns you for your haircut. Because they weren't allowed to cut their hair up above their collar because it would have made them look like the Egyptian people. The reason they weren't allowed to get tattoos is because it would have made them look like the Egyptian people. And, and in the old covenant, there was an obsession with how we looked on the outside. In the new covenant, God's obsession is changing us not from the outside in, but from the inside out. <laughs> Everything changed. It's a new covenant. The, the New Testament even tells us it's a better covenant with better promises. God doesn't get offended when you're like, the old covenant isn't where it's at, bro. The new covenant is where it's at. Even himself, he said, yeah, this one's better. It's better for you. It's better for your family. It's got better promises. It's connected to faith and not works. The old one is fading away. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's actually, going away more and more every day. Every day you recognize the new, the old fades away even more. Whew. That's good news. The reason it's not popular is because at some point, all of us want to believe that we've got something to do with our salvation. few reasons we do that, but one of them in particular is that we want to believe that, we want to believe that in some ways we're better than other people and that God sees us differently because of our behavior than he sees other people. Kind of a one-up culture, aren't we? You went to Dollywood for a vacation. Oh, I went to Disney. <laughs> you went to Pigeon Forge for your anniversary? Oh, we went to Cancun. We're just a one-up culture. We just, there's something about us as human beings that wants to believe we're better than other people. And God said, let me just level the playing field. You're all bad. I'm bad, you're bad. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's messed up. Somewhere in between Matthew and five and Matthew, Matthew five and Matthew seven, all of you messed up. 
I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look so hopeless that maybe, maybe they'll consider me as their Savior. They're going to feel so helpless, so unable, so overwhelmed that they'll say, I've really tried, but I can't. Salvation is simply saying, Jesus, I need you. I can't, I can't do any of this without you. We stand on your feet with me. So, Rob, does that make it okay for me to not forgive people? <laughs> no. That's not what, not what the new covenant is shouting to us. The new covenant is shouting to us, hey, I'm going to be so good to you and so kind to you. And it's going to make such a difference in your life. That the way I love you, if you'll let me, will be the way you love other people. The way I forgive you, if you'll let me, will be the way you forgive other people. We don't struggle with forgiveness because we're not rigid about the law. We struggle with forgiveness because most of us don't believe we're truly forgiven. And you can't give what you don't believe you've been given. So when you don't believe you have new mercy every morning, when you don't believe that God's love is unconditional, when you believe some sort of false gospel that tells you if you're good enough, God will love you, then you'll treat people the way you think God's treating you. And you'll be upset because... People hurt you because you think, well, I've hurt God and I've made some mistakes and I'm not forgiven and I'm not cleansed and I'm not right. So I'm not going to believe that anybody's right. If I'm not right, then nobody can be right. And the gospel is so powerful that it frees us from this obsession with being right because everything has been made right in Christ. And I realize that God loves me so much that it doesn't matter what people have done to me. It doesn't stop God from loving me. And so I can forgive you not because I, I want to I go to heaven. I just want to make it to heaven. So No, I can forgive you because I'm going to heaven. I'm free. Like my life has been changed. God has resurrected my dead life. And he has taken this person that was bitter and angry and frustrated and, and could not do anything about it and freed him. That's why when Jesus comes, he doesn't just forgive us from our sins. The Bible teaches that he frees us from our sins. No longer is our sin being dangled over our head. Like, you better watch it. God's going to get you. You better watch it. That thing you did. No, no, because where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So I, I, I'm, I'm free. I'm free to love people because I'm loved. I'm free to forgive because I've been forgiven. I'm free to give because so much has been given to me.
So I could preach the sermon and say, hey, you need to forgive. It's the right thing to do. And it'll free you, but no, the freeing thing is, is not truly in forgiving. The freeing thing is, be, is realizing how much you've been forgiven. And then forgiveness becomes second nature. It just becomes a part of who I am. I, I just, I don't have to react anymore. Watch this. When Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, they, the, the soldiers came along and to make sure they, that he was dead, they pierced him in his side. And when they pierced him in his side, blood and water began to flow out of his body. And the reason they would pierce him because if they jumped at the piercing, they weren't dead yet. And one of the things that God is trying to teach us is this, that when you've truly given it, remember Jesus, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When I've truly given my life to God, I don't, I don't have to flinch when they pierce me. When I truly trust God with my life, I don't, I don't have to react when they try to hurt me because I know God's got me. My spirit is in his hands. It's not in yours. It's not in your boss's hands. It's not in your wife's hands. It's not in your kid's hands. It's in his. So you can live free from offense. It's not that offenses won't come, but you can live free from offense. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I know this is a lot to try to cram into 30 minutes, but hopefully your people have been freed just a little bit more. Hopefully, maybe some of them are running straight out of that prison cell, but maybe for some of them, it's creeped open a little bit and they're kind of looking around the corner to see if anybody's coming and maybe I can leave this prison. I just, I'm just believing today that hope is filling hearts. The confidence in what you have done is arising and that forgiveness will truly flow because we forgive as Christ by his sacrifice has made way for forgiveness in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen.